Hello and welcome to Design Away, a podcast focusing on personal stories of designers who are living and working outside of their comfort zones. In this episode, Ines and Jorn will interview Konstantin Gavrikov, Global UX and CX Director at Intersport. You'll hear Konstantin speak about his biggest career challenges while working for big names in the fashion and gaming industry. Few challenges to highlight were his public speaking, working remotely and evolving from a practitioner to a design manager. This interview was recorded remotely from a socially safe distance in November 2020. Well, welcome. Today we are joined by Constantine. You are the global UX and CX director at Intersport. I believe that's a, a global uh, or international uh, sporting goods company. But before we actually dive into to that, why don't you tell us a bit more about who you are? What do you explain to someone who you meet for the very first time? How would I explain myself? I think uh, over the years it has changed, but one thing has always uh, stuck to me is like I'm a designer with uh, a curious mind. And maybe when it comes to, of course, like my professional life is more process junkie. And uh, uh, as well, I truly believe that no matter what, like a creative task you're, or challenge you're uh, facing, with the right sequence of steps, you can uh, achieve that. And of course, like with the support of uh, right methodology. And from the uh, personal standpoint, I love video gaming. I pretty much enjoy where I am right now, which is Amsterdam for the sake of the biking culture, people, and also the professional scene that is actually present over here. So, oh, in short, that would be it, yeah. And where are you from originally? I'm originally from Kyiv, Ukraine. And how did you end up in, in Amsterdam then? It was uh, quite a long time ago. I mean, considerably a long time ago, 2007. And uh, my partner, my girlfriend back then, she used to work for a Dutch company and uh, for quite a while already. And then we were presented with the opportunity to move over, maybe as well, kind of like to uh, work over here. I had back then my own design agency or studio of 11 and I had this idea like if I move over maybe I can expand the geography and uh, do a bit of outsourcing or work with the local clients yeah which turned out to be a longer story than actually I have ever expected so since then we happily got stuck in Amsterdam or lost in Amsterdam. (laughs) The gut stuck that uh, a lot of us can relate to. But um, if I understood correctly, then while in Amsterdam, you still worked for Ukraine or uh, by expanding, uh, you mean that uh, you just switched the market now for the Dutch market? Back then, I guess that was the idea. Then I quickly realized actually that, first of all, my English was not good enough. Dutch was non-existent and that uh, was a bit of a problem. And the second of all, it was 2007 and then it was 2008 uh, and the crisis, financial crisis hit. Our bigger clients, they have frozen the projects. Smaller clients were just, you know, like closing down. And uh, I was unfortunately forced to, to sell my part of the business back in Ukraine to a partner. And uh, I found a job over here at the agency, which I have then happily spent six years with, you know, I guess this is a great uh, example of uh, leaving a great comfort zone somehow, like you had this place and uh, this company you worked for, and then uh, you come here and the crisis is hitting at the moment and uh, you need to restart. How how was that for you? How was that journey? How hard was it? I can assume that it was hard. 
Oh, yeah, it definitely was hard, but I guess it was like looking back right now, the whole thing, I guess this was definitive experience as well. Uh, first of all, it was very interesting because it was me and my girlfriend kind of like against the world at the same time exploring it, but you have to set up everything from administrative things like to basically your life and with the job first, like, of course, it hit me pretty hard and uh, I was always like dreaming to have my own thing and then I had to join some other team and uh, that was uh, quite a big uh, change but I guess eventually you know it pushed me to to be more proactive so like starting to learn the language like starting to uh, meet up with more people over here with the uh, design community kind of like trying to you know like uh, create more relationships and things that helped me get through that you know I interesting times I would definitely if I would have a chance like to go back, I, I, I would not try to avoid it. That was a good experience. We calculated uh, that you have been in Amsterdam for maybe a third of your life. How does that feel? It feels like a great uh, journey up until here, but do you see yourself as a, as a Amsterdammer or as a Dutch or uh, how, how does it feel to, to have spent so much time here? It's a nice question. You know, like I've been going myself through uh, some stages. And uh, first of all, it was never really kind of like an end goal, like to, to move to Amsterdam and then, uh, you know, like stay here. We always thought like, okay, it's going to be a couple of years and then we move on somewhere else, you know, like, so move forward. But then, as you said before, you know, like as a lot of us experience, Amsterdam is a pretty uh, comfortable, but also quite uh, um, challenging and engaging place uh, to be at. And uh, maybe like 10 years later, I found myself definitely not feeling anymore as a Ukrainian, but not feeling yet uh, as Dutch either. So kind of like uh, hanging somewhere in between. And uh, indeed, as you say, one third of my life by now has been already spent over here. And not just one third, but one third that was seriously like or closely related to my serious already kind of like work life, you know, and I guess one thing that I can definitely tell is that at work, I am Dutch because like I picked up a lot uh, working with Dutch and uh, also I admire the approach to like more honest, direct, you know, way of working, even though I've been working in international companies, I guess out of very different national specifics, I, I would prefer that way because it leads to more efficient, you know, like to more uh, transparent uh, relationships and doing, you know, like projects and your day to day as well. So as I understand correctly, your girlfriend actually found a job in the Netherlands, so it wasn't necessarily your first choice. Mm. Were there other options as well on the table, or was it directly Amsterdam, the Netherlands? So she's been working for a, a Dutch company called uh, Tridion, and that, which was then turned into SDL, a big uh, enterprise CMS solution, for already maybe like three or four years back in Kiev. You know, so she was not uh, looking for it, but then I guess we were just presented with this opportunity. Like, if she wants, she can uh, uh, make a decision to, like, to move uh, over here. But I guess the timeline was a, a bit ridiculous, if I recall it correctly. It was like, you have two weeks to make a decision and you have one month like to pack up and uh, move. <laughs> and we were like, okay, you know, like, but <laughs> uh, we were so was it difficult anxious. to make that decision for you? Not for us. I think we were like, even within the first day, like as soon as we discussed that, we were like, yeah, we should definitely try that. <laughs> But for friends and family, you know, that was like, ooh, you know, like 
we're going departing for Mars instead of just <laughs> two hours by plane uh, to the Netherlands, for instance. And maybe never coming back, right? That was the case 10 yeah. years past. Yeah. How can it happen that you once are working with games and then uh, suddenly you are mm. in e-commerce? How does this transition happen? So I think actually when I started to work at the agency over here, that was like production agency, and we've been doing like very different projects, but the majority of them were for uh, local advertising agencies like White and Kennedy that uh, back then, and I think still works with Nike, Sidley, that was the main, or Amsterdam 180, the main agency for Adidas. And uh, somehow kind of like I got introduced to, into e-commerce and uh, um, retail, sports retail as well. And then we started to work with PVH, Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein. And then on the side of the agency, I was leading the team and we've been working with Tommy for four years. The period actually for me was about falling in love with e-commerce, with the complexity you know, uh, of design tasks and that uh, every single decision that you make, especially with the, the brand like Tommy Hilfiger, for instance, would have a massive impact on all of the metrics. And uh, that part was also very um, fascinating that you have a data-driven approach to design. It was not anymore, you know, like just your gut feeling or like creative, you know, uh, conceptual idea. And uh, I've spent maybe like five years working uh, only on um, e-commerce projects. And then it was time to move on after six years. And I actually had two conversations, one with this uh, video gaming company and another one with uh, another e-commerce company called Bestseller, where I ended up working later. And they were just a bit slower than the video gaming company. And myself, I'm a gamer. You know, I used to be, you would call it professional gamer, like at the, at the beginning of nice. 2000s, playing Quake 3 Arena. And it was always a dream of mine. Like, if I can work for video gaming, I should. And then okay. this opportunity presented itself. And I definitely think it was a very interesting experience as well. Yeah. So did you fulfill that dream of yours of uh, years ago then? How was it? How was that experience? Without a blink of an eye, I would definitely go back to video gaming okay. any, any, any day, any time. <laughs> uh, this is uh, such a passion-driven uh, industry. You know, like where everybody at work from an accountant to, I don't know, like a, a, a driver or whoever, like if you work for the video game, like you're going to love video games and all the conversations sooner or later, they end up in, you know, like talking about your past you know, experiences, like since you were a kid and so on. And then I guess for me, it was kind of like maybe like uh, for you, you mentioned like that uh, you, you do this podcast for Disneyland and this is the passion. And for me, seeing people that have been creating games even before I was maybe knowing what design is or knowing what for instance like video games are, they were already there. That was amazing. But as well, it was a, a great design and uh, management challenge. I was tasked with uh, building an international team across um, uh, different locations. So it was distributed team. Today, we're all great with that, like because we're <laughs> home, but five or six years ago it was quite uh, innovative and uh, i grew a team from two to 45 within four years in based in five different locations so it was quite 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 nice and can you share with us uh, one of the main challenges besides the geographical uh, mm. uh, obvious reasons that you faced while you were uh, building this team uh, I think one massive personal challenge that uh, for a long time I was probably not ready to admit, you know, like publicly, was uh, for me becoming from a designer and design lead, a true um, director and uh, a manager of uh, a talent, you know, 
And uh, I guess there were a lot of lessons learned how not to do things, you know. And as soon as I started to work with people uh, with more kind of like, for instance, like five people on a team or 10 people on a team, you know, like you cannot have uh, direct connections with everybody every single day, but you can really influence like how, how they work, how, how great, uh, you know, the, the result that they can deliver. I started to invest myself into figuring out like how to be actually a better uh, manager, not just a designer. And I guess that was the massive challenge because I guess like when you're younger and you have this ambition, like I'm going to grow up the ranks and I'm going to get more freedom, more power, can like to do whatever you want. But as soon as you get there, <laughs> the, the picture is quite the, uh, the opposite. You know, you have limitations and suddenly you have more responsibilities and suddenly, you know, like you cannot just uh, fulfill uh, yourself as an individual contributor. Yeah, so that, that was the main challenge, but probably the most rewarding experience since then, that by being a good design manager, you can enable people to deliver something that you would even not expect from them to, to mm-hmm. in the first place. Yeah, I can imagine. And once you go as a design manager, can you ever go back to just be a designer in a team? That was the second challenge, I think, because the team was growing in size. And maybe up until we were 15 or 17, I was trying to do a lot of hands-on, you know, projects. So I'd definitely be a part of like two to three, for instance, kind of like product teams or uh, projects and so on. But then you, you realize that you, you need to make this decision and decision is quite harsh. You know, you don't want to be a bottleneck because like people are going to be waiting for you. But um, I guess... I love design myself. And then, you know, like I, I had a mentor back then and I tossed him with this question, like what to do? I, I don't just like want to leave it and only do the management side of things. And uh, he said that he's using his free time. Like whenever he has any hour, any minute on a plane, in a hotel, whatever, kind of like he would uh, do his personal project or work on something else just to keep himself, you know, first of all, on top of the things. And second of all, you know, to keep getting this joy. And I guess this helped me to establish a habit of, yeah, I, I should still do hands-on, but maybe kind of like not on a day-to-day, but more of a, a personal kind of like purchase. Well, we mentioned in the introduction that you're now the global UX CX director at mm-hmm. Intersport. Can you fill us in on what a typical day for you looks like? What is your responsibility? What do you do? Mm-hmm. One of my responsibilities and maybe kind of like a typical day <laughs> would be quite different because, well, right now is being redefined a bit, you know, with the new approach, kind of like a new way of doing things. So generally speaking, uh, first, like UX or a customer experience would be setting the direction and vision and uh, maybe then helping the team to follow through uh, on how uh, Intersport is being seen and perceived by our customers on all of our channels. Uh, user experience would entail the digital side of things, but customer experience would entail actually Omni, for instance. So the connection to the offline world. And I, I truly believe as well that, that that is the essence of experience. You know, like you, you need to work and focus on the entire customer journey. But the second part of my title, which is global, entails something else because Intersport indeed is, the, is not your um, usual setup as one company with different regions. It's one brand with different national organizations and every national organization has quite a lot of autonomy because they work with a local market, they work with a local customer 
and uh, I'm a part of the central organization. So this global means that I need to somehow kind of like create a vision that is going to be possible to first of all implement, but at the same time, like not to deliver an experience that's not going to uh, be tapping into the local specifics, you know. So um, therefore, it's a lot of communication with the, our national organizations. It's a lot of, you know, work around that and finding the way, kind of like, how can you still create white label solution that is not going to be just like one size fits all, but flexible and scalable enough that it would work on this local levels. Interesting. You mentioned indeed that the UX is the digital part and, and CX customer experience is more the, the, the offline physical part. Intersport, of course, is a company with uh, actual physical stores yeah. that people can, can visit. How do, you, how do you match those or how do you yeah, put those two together in your, in your work? At work, actually, my main point that I'm trying to deliver across the board is that you, you should not differentiate because you're customer, user, or kind of like a person to be a customer, meaning us, we never differentiate. Like when you experience something on mobile, when you experience something on desktop, or when you walk into the store, kind of like you have your experience with the brand, you have your experience with Intersport as, for instance, like the experts in sports goods, for instance, and so on. So this is the, the main narrative, and this is probably the main challenge to, to, to make it work for everybody in the company. Intersport indeed, actually, and for a long time, has been having a really strong offline presence. It's actually one of the biggest sports goods retailers in the world in the amount of stores, for instance, and you know, reach in terms of countries and so on. But digital in this case, obviously, is picking up. And I think this year, especially, was a massive catalyzer for all of the companies and especially companies with offline presence being as a, you know, like a driving force, like to rethink it, you know, so I guess it is about, you know, like debunking like that journey is only digital or journey is only offline and uh, like building this understanding within uh, different functions. Is it also a shared uh, design team? Is it the same group working on, on all the platforms and all the touch points or is it still split up into digital and, and offline? I would say when it is related to the Omni capabilities, that would be the same team, for instance. So the digital side of uh, offline, but of course, retail has a lot of additional processes that they have established quite a while ago and they're, they're still upgrading and moving forward with those. So there is a separation in, yeah. on, on a global level. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that, uh, so the fact that uh, you are changing and reshaping the way of working because of COVID and the circumstances where we are, I can imagine that on a global scale, it's easier if all of us have to work through a computer. So I can imagine that's one of the things that may have uh, shifted a bit as well. But what else uh, did the Corona or crisis uh, impacted your uh, normal way of working or your team? For me personally, what was interesting is this experience that I had before leading this distributed team. And we already back then met some of the challenges that we are still about to get into, for instance, like with lockdowns and so on. And one of the main challenges is that people don't realize, but it's happening to them. We're working through the screen, but over time you get this feel of isolation. Now, of course, like we shared and we can speak about that. But nevertheless, some people, especially people that are more maybe introvert or people just 
you know, like that are working as individual contributors, they might not even realize like how it is growing on them and how does it affect their, you know, mental well-being and productivity and um, everything together. And it's really hard to, you know, like grasp it from just like this Zoom call conversation or a meeting as well, you know, something that you would probably or naturally feel if you would be in a physical presence of a person. So I'm trying to definitely kind of like not to predict, but even kind of like establish some uh, routines that would be uh, more helpful in, in keeping everybody uh, sane. And there are, of course, like uh, probably what you um, experienced yourself, missing whiteboards greatly. You know, I, I love Miro. It's amazing, but it is still a threshold for some people can like to get in there, you know, while when you're in a meeting room, you can ju just jump up and uh, illustrate yeah. your thoughts and uh, yeah, be more collaborative in this case. Yeah, it's extensively part of the, the storytelling part of our, of our job, right? To yeah. be able to bring people in and to share experience. Uh, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> and on the, on the same notes about storytelling, we also know that you've been speaking at certain meetups, conferences, and uh, this is something that definitely interests us. For some, it can be a really out of comfort thing mm -hmm. to do. Uh, is it uh, out of your comfort uh, zone? Interestingly, yes, this is exactly why I started with the speaking engagements and I really pushed myself into it. And up to this very moment, maybe not with online speaking, but like whenever you, I would have this um, offline gigs and especially like, like, it doesn't matter like small group or big group, you know, I would really worry about it. It would uh, really kind of like up to the moment, like when I'm on stage, for instance, kind of like almost like shake my entire body and a uh, couple of hours before that I'm feeling that I'm gonna throw up and it, and it doesn't matter how many times I have rehearsed how uh, confident I am in this particular spe uh, speech or first like um, that they even given it like this is still for me kind of like a, a push out of stretch zone like not even the stretch zone but like out of it I can imagine also within your normal job, there are also other moments that uh, you could uh, feel out of comfort zone. Is there anything that you could share with us on that regard? Like uh, what is, uh, what could be the thing that puts you on the edge? I guess uh, always been and still is that when you're becoming a manager and uh, you realize that your expertise in particular area is not going to anymore be a driving force over there. But at the same time, moving forward, sometimes you end up leading or managing functions that is not your strong suit, for instance. So this is always, for me, out of comfort zone because I'm trying not to stand in a way, but let a person actually to then, you know, lead the way. But depending on the personality, depending on the context, you know, uh, there will be still, for instance, like if you have younger people, they're looking up to you and they expect that you need to be an expert and better than them, only then you're a good leader, which is quite difficult if you, if you need to be a generalist, for instance, you know, and uh, I prefer not to fake it, but kind of like to be quite transparent about these things. But uh, also, at least when I'm feeling out of comfort zone, I'm, I'm trying to then you know, like widen this stretch zone by learning more about the function, kind of like the new function first, like where the new expertise, but also kind of like you can learn as much because we have limited time and uh, of course uh, also brain capacity. We uh, look a little bit into the future. It's of course very uncertain at the moment. We don't know how this whole 
pandemic will will pan out. But do you see yourself staying in in the Netherlands in Amsterdam, maybe moving to a completely different country or moving back to Ukraine? Everything is possible. It's not that I have a solid plan. But frankly, I guess the driver would be either, you know, curiosity, but then can I just move somewhere for um, a particular period of time uh, to experience how people live, like to properly absorb a, a completely different culture. And I have three places um, in mind for that, maybe like for a couple of years or depends on how it goes. And uh, those places um, would be Istanbul, Hong Kong or Rio de Janeiro, simply because from my culture, all these three places are so distant and they are so different. But at the same time, like these three cities, they, they completely, you know, like blew me um, away in terms of like how vibrant, how interesting, kind of like how, you know, living they are. So if I would uh, imagine the, the move happening, that would be like one of uh, these cities, for instance. I'm interesting curious, choices uh, yeah yeah indeed <laughs> i'm curious if it happens that you you visited all those cities and you arrived and you said bread in the air and said to yourself okay i could live here or is it something more on the culture that you experience from afar and that makes you wonder and being curious about it like actually pro, uh, probably the, the second one for sure because as well as a design leader, I was always trying to immerse myself into different areas and surround myself like with people that are, are quite different. So to have diversity of the opinions, diversity of the perspectives. So that therefore, you yourself as a designer can like can uh, really walk the walk, not only talk the talk. That our users are different, and they they all are actually uh, having different mentality and backgrounds and so on. But what then is a, a better possibility to to experience that than by moving to a, a place where it's completely different and i'm pretty sure in all three cities that would not be comfortable at all for probably or maybe even like forever i i, I cannot imagine that you can assimilate in hong kong uh, you know being a ukrainian and say like yeah i'm the, <laughs> the, the proud hong kong hong Kongese citizen Yeah, it would definitely be a challenge. Um, yeah, so I think uh, we are reaching the end of uh, our talk. Um, really nice to hear about all the moments you got past your comfort zone. I guess you have a few on your belt. Uh, Jorn, would you like to add anything? Any other questions? Uh, yeah, I was wondering, it's, it's most of them are canceled or going virtual, but is there any upcoming conference that you already signed up for uh, and will be speaking at? Actually, yes. I think it's called uh, Open Retail 2030 or, or something like that, uh, but it's happening in February. Also, I'm preparing a couple uh, more talks as well with the local Amsterdam communities. And we just signed up for the South by Southwest. This is my absolute favorite. Always been, always been a participant though, like for seven years. And this year we decided together with my partner to sign up with our, with our talk that we have given already like four or five times. And it worked out pretty well. So, yeah, we have a talk together with her. It's actually about um, gender inclusion in e-commerce. And uh, she works for Adidas. I work for Intersport. And we both like work for fashion retail as well. And we're looking at how to go uh, beyond the binary gender experience, you know, like exploring actually what is already happening over there or why we ended up right now with this binary experience and how to... Oh, Gen Z, for instance, is going to change everything, you know, completely or already changing, actually. 
Nice. So, uh, really, really interesting. So if we cannot join you at a conference in the US, uh, um, I hope we can uh, get to see your presentation uh, somewhere yeah. on the internet. <laughs> nice. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And, thank uh, you very much. Uh, <laughs> great questions, uh, truly challenging, but also very interesting, guys. Hey there, wait, wait, before you go, please give us your feedback on this episode and the entire series on hello at designawaypodcast.com. We would love to hear your thoughts so we can improve the future episodes. Thanks for listening and have a good day.